Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Flagship Podcast. We are uh, recording on Tuesday, April 28th. Signs of life in terms of uh, maybe easing up a little bit on the uh, sheltering in place, maybe some retail and restaurants starting to open, maybe quarter capacity by the end of the week, according to the governor, the great uh, governor of the great state of Texas. So we always say stay safe and keep the faith and maybe it's starting to uh, to move in a positive direction. Joining me as always, our fearless captain, the managing editor of Horns 24-7 and the engine that runs the flagship podcast, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? What's going on, Chip? Oh, man. Just uh, just trying to stay sane, you know? Yeah. It's hard right now, right? Hard to do, but, um, you know, we had the NFL draft, and we'll get into that with our man Bobby Burton, the godfather, uh, publisher of Horns 24-7. We'll recap the, uh, the Longhorns in the draft, talk about some of the other Big 12 players who were drafted, maybe talk a little Cowboys and Texans as well. Uh, we'll get into that with Bobby Burton, but... Uh, Taylor, you were mentioning you were sitting out on your patio and you had uh, a brainstorm. Yeah, so um, I kind of had one of those days today where just kind of one of those, like, if you know what's good for you, just maybe leave me alone for a little bit. So to avoid any type of me biting off my husband's head who is working from home also, I went outside on the back patio and just like wanted to unwind, but I started trying to think of different segments, Chip, that you and I can do on the flagship podcast each week that's more interactive. And one thing I came up with is a segment that we're going to call Love It or Leave It. And Chip, we're going to debut that. Or leave it. Love It or Leave It. And Chip, we're going to debut this today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a question to you. You decide if you love it or leave it. And explain why, you know, I think you and I are probably going to have differing opinions. So let's let's oh. get to it. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. It's got like a game show feel to it. Yes, exactly. What's your favorite so, game show? Ooh, that's a good question. I always liked Family Feud. Yeah, Family Feud is hard to beat. Yeah. Like I still think I'd totally go on that show, but I don't know who I'd pick because I get super, <laughs> super competitive. So... Somebody oh, you have to take your dad and your brothers. Oh, see, my dad, I don't think he would be very quick on his feet in that scenario anymore. Back in his prime, absolutely. But I, I got to come with the quick-witted ones. And with the amount of phone calls I get about computer issues that they're having, I think that might not be the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love them, though. Take your beer softball league team. Yeah. I haven't played one of those in a while, so... I don't know. It would take some some very fine picking, I think. <laughs> well, Might hurt some feelings too, but <laughs> with that, will, yeah, with that, we got our own little game show going here today. Yes. So, Chip, uh, my first question for you: Love it or leave it? Texas will have a third straight season with a one thousand yard receiver in twenty twenty. You know what? I say, love it. I love it. You know why? Because Sam Ellinger um, is, I mean, this is his senior year. He's in a groove. He had little Jordan Humphrey as a thousand yard receiver, then Devin Duvernay. I think that Brennan Eagles or Jake Smith or Jordan Whittington or Josh Moore are all capable of being thousand yard receivers. So I'm not, I'm not saying they all will. Mm-hmm. I'm saying at least one. Uh, so I, I love it. I think that Texas will have another 1,000-yard receiver uh, this season. I mean, it's hard not to agree with that. Yeah, it's hard not to say love it because if you look at what Tom Herman has done with a more experienced Sam Ellinger, there's been one every year. In, in fact, in 2018, Colin Johnson was, I believe, 15 receiving yards away from Texas having two 1,000 receivers. And so I definitely do think that, 
you know, I, I'm definitely more of a show me, don't tell me type of person. And what I can say that Texas has shown is the receivers in a Tom Herman led offense and, you know, Mike Yersich as well. I'm not saying that this is all going to be Tom Herman's offense, but, you know, even between the two of them, there's no reason to doubt that they're going to find somebody who can play that role. That's going to be the the playmaker um, similar to a little Jordan Humphrey, Humphrey or Devin Duvernay. So I think, I think we got to love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sam Ellinger, I'm not expecting Sam Ellinger to go backward this year. No. And, no. you know, Mike Yersich, come on. This guy, he had Tylen Wallace. He had James Washington at Oklahoma State. He knows how to get the ball to his playmakers. Yeah, for sure. All right, so Chip, love it or leave it. Number two, Texas, with Texas just recently signing and adding the commitment of five-star power forward Greg Brown the third. I have to ask you, love it or leave it, Shaka Smart finally wins an NCAA tournament game with Greg Brown on his team. Uh, as most of our members at Horns 24-7 know, I am not a buyer of Shaka Smart. <laughs> I like the guy, like him. Everybody likes Shaka. Job, not a fit, hasn't been a fit since year two, and we're now going into year six. But Taylor, I'm going to love this because this is an experienced veteran team with veteran guards. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's the most experienced team that Shaka has recruited. He inherited a veteran team from Rick Barnes, but those guys were all like on their way out. So these are guys that, for better or worse, have been molded by Shaka. You got Courtney Ramey, you got Matt Coleman, you got Andrew Jones. These are guys who should be able to facilitate, get the ball to Greg Brown the third in places where he can do damage. And this absolutely should be an NCAA tournament team under Shaka Smart. And I'll even say they win an NCAA tournament game. Wow. That's gonna, interesting. I, I know. I know. I can't believe him. Can't believe him. Can you imagine if Shaka like has some great year? I mean, what's my nickname for him? Cat. Shaka the cat, because that man has nine lives in. But I think he's on his twelfth life. Yeah, he might be. He might he be. Might, he might get a thirteenth life <laughs> if he can, you know, put it all together this season. Of course, he'll be. He'll be losing. Um, I'll be losing Jericho Sims and, and Matt Coleman after this season. So, and probably Greg Brown, the third, I mean, if Greg right. Brown, the third said that he'll be picking the place where he plans to spend the next eight months. Right. And he talked about picking a school. So yeah. Anyway, well, we'll take it one step at a time. I will love the fact that, uh, Shaka, I think he wins. I think he wins an NCAA tournament game. Just one. I got to disagree with that. And oh. while I, I do see your point, you know, because when Shaka, one of Shaka Smart's best seasons that he's had at Texas was when he took over for um, Rick Barnes. That was what the 2015, 2016 season. And that roster was peppered with veterans on that team. A lot of seniors. Um, I mean, yeah. if you go back through the list, Javon Felix. Uh, yep. You know, uh, Isaiah Taylor okay. was a junior. Um, I mean, Lee Prince eBay. Yeah. Uh, Connor Lambert, even Lambert, too. He was a senior. Um, so I think that there was a lot of guys on that team that helped Shaka in year one. However, I just I mean, I feel like when the the biggest games happen, Texas basketball has found a way to lose under him and in like almost in historic fashion. I mean, remember the Northern, what was it? Northern Iowa. Is that how they played? Half court the last... buzzer beater. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's just kind of feel, I feel like in hindsight, the last NCAA tournament appearance for Texas under Shaka Smart is the perfect summation of what Shaka Smart's teams have been at Texas. Just kind of the, are you kidding me? This is really happening right now. Well, and they 
they had the overtime game where they were the 10 seed. Nevada was the seven seed with Mo Bamba and, and that got away. You know, that was a chance for them to knock off a seven seed and they, they lost that game in overtime. So you're right. When, when they get to March and they get into the NCAA tournament, it, it turns into the banana and the tailpipe. Right. And I'm sorry, it was the first NCAA appearance under Shaka Smart, the Northern Iowa game. Yeah, the yeah. Nevada game was the last one. But never forget Isaiah Taylor coming over to me at the scores table and just burying his head. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a picture. I mean, you know, Texas fans won't like it, but it's like the most, one of the better like NCAA March Madness pictures I've seen in recent history. And I believe it's Isaiah Taylor, just the look of sheer devastation as the Northern Iowa players are jumping up and down and celebrating. You're like, oh gosh, like that sums it up for me, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll stop bashing Shaka for a second. Hey, Greg Brown. There you go. Great, great success there picking up a a solid five-star power forward, a local one. Uh, Turned down 300 grand. Yeah, from the G League, right? Yeah, he really wanted to be a Longhorn. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's turn the focus back to football here. And my next question for you is, love it or leave it, as long as Sam Ellinger stays healthy, Texas will play for the Big 12 title for the 2020 season. I love it. I love it. This is a veteran team, 16 starters back. I get that the pandemic has has cut into valuable time for the new offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich and defensive coordinator, Chris Ash to not only install and, and rep their new offense and defense, but everybody's got to deal with that. So I think Yersich and Ash know what they're doing. And I think that becomes a weapon for, Texas having new coordinators because they have the element of surprise right through the first half of the season until there's enough film for the tendencies to start to show up. Uh, otherwise coaches are kind of having to go back in time and look at your at Oklahoma state or look at Ash at Ohio state in 14 and 15 to try to, to pick up trends and, and you know, those teams had different personnel. They might've, favored different things. So I think it's an advantage and I think it's an advantage that Texas should be able to carry into the big 12 title game. Right. I love it too. And you, you mentioned something that kind of reminds me a little bit of what Oklahoma had last year on defense under Alex Grinch. You know, I mean, that defense was, nobody really knew what to expect from it. And Look what they did to the Texas offense because of a lot of the unknown with what not, what was it, eight sacks on Sam Ellinger or tackles for loss? Tackles for loss and nine sacks. Nine sacks, yeah. So I do think the element of surprise definitely helps Texas. And I, I've been a believer of Sam Ellinger since I saw him at the opening camp series or the uh, opening finals in Beaverton, Oregon, heading into his senior season. I mean, he was just one of those those guys that you automatically want to follow, which is so important for a quarterback. And, you know, I think he's really grown into that role even more so at Texas. There's not really a reason to doubt him because in some of the biggest games, now take the true freshman season away, okay, because he was a true freshman. But in some of the bigger games, he, you know, he was one of those guys that can put the game on his shoulders. And I think with the the experience that Texas has with, I believe 16 returning starters from last year's team, um, you know, going to be available for the 2020 season. There's no reason for Texas to not play for a Big 12 title, and if they don't, then I think we're going to have a be, be having a much different conversation because if it's not going to happen now, when's it going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I I think people have asked me, do you think Tom Herman's coaching for his job in 2020? And I say no, but if things don't go well and it's a another seven and five regular season, he might be coaching for his job in 21. Right. Um, I don't see Chris Del Conte firing Tom Herman unless he has a losing record. And he's basically said that 
Um, but I, I think that this is a, this is a Big 12 contending year, no question about it. 16 returning starters, good leadership on both sides of the ball, uh, a really blood and guts warrior leader at quarterback and Sam Ellinger, who has raised, what, $140,000 for uh, folks who are hurting in the, um, in the pandemic with his GoFundMe. Right. Uh, which is just fantastic. So, yeah, I I do see it as no matter seven staff, you know, changes, this is a Big 12 contending year for Texas. That's the standard. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, and I agree, too. I don't necessarily think, unless everything falls apart, I would imagine the hot seat topic about Tom Herman would come after 2020 if Tom Herman's team doesn't take that next step, but I do think that they will, you know, I think these coaches are probably going to be, you know, viewed as geniuses in year one because they took over such a talented team and, and credit of that goes to Tom Herman too. I mean, him and his former staff, they're, they're the ones that signed these guys. These are his guys, right? You know, that this will be a, this will be great to see, I think for the future for Texas too, if Tom Herman, his, true development development as a head coach of the talent that he receives because one yeah. of the knocks on texas recently has been they're signing all these you know four or five stars but they're not showing out in the nfl draft you know that was what people always said about mac brown his classes towards the end of his time at texas well i think this will be the time where we're going to see what tom herman's um classes can really turn into yeah yeah i agree with you all right so final final question here chip and I think you and I are going to have different opinions on this. But love it or leave it, Casey Thompson will be the starting quarterback for Texas after Sam Ellinger's departure. I, if he's patient, I will love this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously he's been in the portal and, you know, he's thought about leaving. And uh, if he can be patient, he's... I think he's going to get the chance to be the guy. And now bringing in a new offensive coordinator sort of levels the playing field for guys like Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson. But if Casey Thompson has been paying attention and, and, you know, adding to his, um, his confidence level and his ability to, to digest offense, uh, I think he will. I think he will get a chance to be the heir to Sam Ellinger in 2021. So you think he will have a chance, or you think he will be? No, I think I think he's the guy. I mean, I mean, okay. I love Jaquin and Jackson. Like that's my guy. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people love Hudson Card. I think Hudson Card's great, but I think Jaquin and Jackson is like big stage, big game, Vince Young type. The brighter the lights, the the better he plays type of guy. And I know he's coming off the 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 knee injury and and suffered in the playoffs, so he's you know, he's basically out for the he was gonna redshirt anyway, but it um that's my guy. Now, if he can close the gap and and he looks like he's gonna be uh you know, this force of nature, then I could see Jaquin and Jackson maybe beating out Casey Thompson, but if Casey's, you know, come along the way, I think he has. And I think he's, I think he's better than people think. I know you're not a fan of his accuracy and, and some of the, you know, his ability to, to, um, you know, deliver the ball on time and all that stuff. But I think he's, I think he's worked at it. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, I'll say love it, even though watch out for Jaquin and Jackson. <laughs> love it with an asterisk, right? <laughs> love it with an asterisk. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to leave that one. Um, I do agree with you about Jaquin and Jackson. I think just his sheer athleticism, he could be, he could be used in such a variety of ways. And I feel like he's a, just such a, a freak athlete, kind of like a Vince Young, to where he's a gamer that won. And I think that Jaquindon Jackson can be that. I do 
you know, it's it's not that I don't like, I got to correct you a little bit. It's not that I don't like Casey Thompson, what he has to offer. It's just, there's sometimes, you know, when I, I covered recruiting a lot and there are just sometimes when you see things, when you are watching recruits in certain scenarios that are really hard to shake. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just kind of the, especially first impressions, like first impressions are lasting. And my first impression, seeing Casey Thompson play um, in person, not watching a highlight film, it was very less than mediocre. And, you know, I reached out to people in Oklahoma that had covered him since he was basically a freshman in high school. I asked for their opinion. You know, they were, they spoke him up because he's a good kid, comes from a good family. There's a lot of love for the Thompson family, but it was kind of one of those, oh, no, you know, it's probably just a one-time thing. But he does he doesn't throw the tightest spiral and he's not the most accurate and he doesn't, he doesn't really read the field as well as some other quarterbacks. And you're kind of sitting there thinking like, I watched him on seven on seven. He had no pressure. And there was a lot of ducks I was seeing being thrown. So that's where my thing with Casey Thompson is, you know, I, I think if he's a true gamer and truly wants it, he'll probably be much better the next time you see him in a game scenario compared to what I saw him as a recruit the few times that I did. Um, but I'm just going to leave it just because, again, that first impression is hard to shake, especially when it's a quarterback for, you know, his uh, performance and um, there's no pressure coming at him and he still couldn't hit his targets in stride. <laughs> that was sure. like, oh, OK. All right. And I'm going to trust that that Tom Herman has been able to, to coach him up. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Right. Definitely a possibility, but let's bring in Horns 24-7 publisher, Bobby Burton, so you guys can recap what happened for the Longhorns over the last weekend in the 2020 NFL Draft, where some of the Texas players went, how y'all feel about the picks, and then a look ahead to what you project for the 2021 Longhorns. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. The godfather, Bobby Burton, publisher, Horns 24-7, who joins us now on the flagship podcast, Bobby how you doing? How's Nashville? Good. It's it's uh, bright and seventy five degrees here today, and a little breeze. It's nice. I'm sitting out on the porch, uh, you know, during this quarantine. I guess that uh, it's kind of self imposed quarantine at this point, but I kind of like it. Yeah, it's <laughs> just taking a chill right now and waiting it out, and uh, you know, hanging out with the kids, kind of thing. So, should be interesting. Uh, over the next couple of weeks and see where this all goes uh, now with Texas reopening and other states as well. Yeah. And it's, it's to the point now where people are like hesitant. Are, are you sure we should reopen even if it's a quarter capacity, but Hey, a step in the right direction, a step closer to um, what we used to know as the world. So we'll take those baby steps. Um, Bobby, the NFL draft, Texas Longhorns, people keep asking me, are, are these Tom Herman's players? I'm like, no, not yet, not yet. Um, his 17 class will will be seniors in the next season. Sam Ellinger, part of that class. Um, and so Brandon Jones and Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson uh, get drafted by Texas. And I'll be honest, Bobby, they went a little earlier, Brandon Jones and Devin Duvernay, than an NFL scouting director who I said, is there any chance they go in the third round? And he said a team would really have to like them for that to happen. Well, it did. Brandon Jones goes to the Miami Dolphins, and Devin Duvernay goes to the Baltimore Ravens in the third round. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I would uh, – I, I want to say this without uh, getting anybody – thinking I don't like either of those players, but I thought Brandon Jones at that, at that level was a real reach. Um, yeah, I know he has the speed, um, but has he played it in, did he play himself into a third round pick or are they just looking strictly at the speed and what they might need from a safety? Um, because he doesn't tackle particularly well. He bounced people bounce off of him a lot and he didn't play the ball well in the air very often at Texas. Um, so I thought that was a reach. Dev DuVernay, I, I don't think that's going to end up being a reach. I don't really care if he would have went in the second round or wherever. I think he's going to be a long-term pro at some level. 
Um, and we'll see where that is. But uh, I just think he has that mindset and ability that he's going to be a, a hard out for anybody to kick him out of a team because he's going to play special teams. He's going to be a sure-handed receiver. And he's going to be able to get deep on people. So uh, that combination, I just find it very hard to believe that there, that somebody's not going to have a spot for him for a long time. Now, I would argue that before Brandon Jones, um, and this is – you're going to have to go back and look at film before Brandon Jones uh, had the ankle injury and then the shoulder injury last year, ankle injury two years ago, shoulder injury last year. He was a sure tackler. And I've, I felt like he, you know, took good angles. He, I'll never forget the play he made on the goal line against Maryland in the game. They lost. It kept them to the point where it was still a five point game and they had a chance to win the game um, three different times in the final five minutes. They couldn't do it. But, you know, Brandon's been hurt. And that's he reminds me of Jordan Hicks a little bit in that way because I do think Brandon flashed. He was lost as a sophomore. The Mark Andrews touchdown against OU with a switch route where he he lost uh, Andrews on the, the touchdown from Baker Mayfield. But then he came on and and then he got hurt. And so I hope he stays healthy because, I mean, he is he's a talented football player. I think, he, I think he loves the game, and he's certainly a great character guy. You're not going to find a better character guy than Brandon Jones. No, and I think he works real hard. I mean, yeah. so I, I get all that. I, I think that – so what, what I would say to you in those run support situations you're talking about, they're all inside out. So he's almost tracking like a linebacker to the outside. Yep. The same with the hit at, at West Virginia or the goal line stop against USC. Right. The hit. Uh, they're, all, they're all inside out. Open space downfield. I'm reminded of a missed tackle against Oklahoma State where he just took a horrific angle and misjudged his own speed, the receiver's speed, and it was just ugly. So I get the inside out stuff. I don't have a problem. I have a little problem with him getting bounced off of downhill and a little problem in the open field. That's those are his two little bugaboos, so to speak. Doesn't mean he's not a good player. That's again, we're you're talking about NFL level talent here. You're not talking about whether or not this guy is a division one recruit or something. You know what I mean? So it's there, there's levels that of nitpicking that goes on. That's just my particular take at the same time. I'm certainly willing to recognize that he has speed. I don't know that he always has game speed. Like, I think, actually, Chris Brown has more game speed at times because he reacts quicker and sees it quicker than Brandon Jones, um, even though Chris Brown probably runs in the four sixes, about high four fives or something. So that's my take on it. Um, doesn't mean I'm, I'm right, uh, but that, that's where I see it. The, the thing that I go back to with DeVerne is that he is going to maximize whatever he can do at any point in time. And he's not going to drop the ball. Um, receivers in the NFL can't drop the ball period. Um, it's you can get open and be Michael Gallup and drop the ball half the time. You know, I, I think that my point on it is uh, he's more of a sure bet. He's a guy that is going to stick around for a long time. I think Jones could get either, uh, into a situation or uh, get himself out of it. He's not Quandre Diggs, for example, who I think can be that run support safety nickel uh, type guy that can play inside and outside a little bit for you at safety. Um, I think that that Jones has to be an inside out guy or field. So that that's just that's how I am, uh, and you know we'll see if it it works out. Colin Johnson is a is an entirely different situation than those two, and that he's. He's kind of a one-trick pony, uh, but that's a pretty good trick, you know. So right. <laughs> he's got a catch radius somewhere in the, you know, what seven-foot range, I guess. I don't know. Um, with those long arms and 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 how tall and lanky he is, I just, uh, you know, with him, it's going to be about getting off the line of scrimmage and being able to create even a, a level of separation that allows him to utilize uh, his his frame. Yeah, one thing that I find interesting on the Duvernay selection, they take him in the third round, then they come back and they take James Prochet from SMU, who's a virtual carbon copy 
of Devin Duvernay. And so it's it's going to be interesting to see which of those two um, can battle it out. You know, both probably going to have to make it on special teams, returns, whatever, tackling on coverage special teams. Uh, but that I thought was interesting because um, – both those of those guys, receivers. I those, they're they, both top uh, five in receptions last year in college football. They, the thing about both of those kids, they can catch the ball. I am telling you now, James Prochet has some of the best hands you're going to see. Um, but I don't. Do you know what he ran? Did he run at the combine? I, I'll look that up. I would be highly surprised if he is higher than mid four fives. Yeah. Um, compared to Devin, so I think that's the 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 thing about it now he's a little bit more fluid than than Devin as a player and I could so for that reason I could see it but I I would think that Devin's speed actually is going to be a, a big determining factor there in that in that situation although Prochet again if they're looking for a guy that can just catch it on you know, stick routes and get in and out of break quicker then he may be Devin in that regard but I'm again DuVernay does too many good things for him to be looking at uh, sitting on the outside looking in when it comes time to make a final roster in my opinion yeah um and real quick on on brandon jones with the with the miami dolphins he's got a real chance to to make that that team and he'll uh he'll go up against adrian colbert former longhorn who's now a strong safety um for the miami dolphins interestingly enough uh and bobby mccain who's a fifth round pick at free safety. So uh, Brandon Jones probably going to have a chance to, to make that team. Um, you know, they, they flashed late last year, but obviously they were not, uh, uh, they, they got a lot of holes to fill, <laughs> but Colin, there's a reason they were dropping drafting near the top of the draft. Oh, put it that way. without a doubt. <laughs> um, so Colin Johnson, Bobby, he goes to the franchise where football players go to lose their minds. The Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I talked to Quan Cosby and Jordan Shipley about their time. I talked to Roy Miller about his time with the Jags. And all of them will tell you it's like walking into the Twilight Zone. And it's like good people turn to sausage. When they go to Jacksonville and here they were two years ago, they took the Patriots to the to the wire in the AFC championship game. Two years later, they're completely deconstructing the whole the whole team. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I feel I'm just I just not I'm not surprised by anything that happens in, in, with a franchise that has problems being consistent. I mean, historically, um, that starts at the very top. It really does. Um, and that, that is where I come out on, on those types of franchi- franchises like the Bengals or the Browns even now. They don't, the, the ownership is not consistent enough to allow and hire the right type of people to make it consistent over a period of time. Um, and so I think those, they, they kinda, you kind of reap what you sow in, in those situations. All right, so Malcolm Roach, kid from Louisiana, uh, signs as an undrafted free agent with the New Orleans Saints, and Zach Shackelford, undrafted free agent, signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Going to have Tom Brady's hands right up under his his bupkis. For how long? We don't know. But um, your thoughts on... On Roach to the Saints and Shaq to the Bucks. Well, of the two, I actually think that that uh, that Roach has a better chance of making a roster or the practice squad. Um, and <clears throat> the reason why is is the last couple of guys that have come out of playing that that defensive end spot for Todd Orlando, um, um, uh, Charles O'Minahue is one. And then also even Puna Ford went undrafted and he was an interior guy, but he also moved outside some. Those guys actually ended up making it in the league. Uh, but even though they may have been uh, not so highly thought of coming out in the draft, um, in some ways because perhaps Orlando uh, didn't really use them 
the same way that they'll be used in the in the NFL. Well, the, they'll be asked to disrupt more as opposed to simply occupy uh, blockers and, and fill gaps. So the hope for Malcolm would be that he can be a different type of player and still make make it in the league somewhere. Obviously, going to his home state school where he can, he can get that done. He also I don't know if you saw this or not, but he got a pretty sweet deal for a. Uh, 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 undrafted guy. He got 95 grand, I think signing bonus, right? Right. Uh, uh, chip. And that's not a bad deal. Uh, that yeah. means he was one of the first guys off the board really. Uh, so for that, I, I think that there's some thought that he might be able to do it. And, you know, chip, he's not a guy that would be bad running down on kickoffs or punts. Um, he's got good size and good speed ratio. You know what I mean? Yep. And so uh, that might be a thing, too, that he can be helpful with. Uh, as far as Shackelford's confer- concerned, I don't know who all the, the competition is there. Um, uh, but I would, I would guess that his lack of awareness and pass protection is going to be a, a real, real issue on the, in the pro game. I mean, just real, real issue. And we'll find out whether it was strictly him or if it was perhaps that he was uh, buttressed by uh, a pair of guards at times that, that in Pat Vahe and even Junior Angelou, um this year that really struggle in pass protection themselves, you know, or is Zach better than that? And we just didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, they, they just don't have the measurables um, that, that you're looking for. And, um, but we'll see. I mean, Roach is a, is a heart and soul guy. He's a coach's son. He's played every position in the front seven. He's got to get in great shape and then he's just got to, he's got to make plays and, and find a way, uh, to hang on that roster or practice squad and, um, and just extend his, his football. Let me ask you this, Bobby, because, you know, obviously Longhorns fans are tired of watching, uh, other teams have players taken in the first round. And in the first decade of the 2000s, Texas was in the first round all the time. The second decade of the 2000s, almost never. I mean, Earl Thomas, pretty much. So as we get to the Tom Herman recruits, the the 17 class is going to be a senior this season. And then you get to those top three classes in 18 and 19. Um, We're going to see this shift a bit aren't we we're going to see the longhorns getting back up into the into the first round yeah i think i I do think so um you know the 17 class won't have a first rounder in my opinion um right uh osai is 18 correct and and i don't think cosme will be a first rounder when it's all said and done uh now maybe maybe he'll surprise me but i'd see him more as a second or third round guy um because he's not elite size-wise um, compared to some of these guys that went in the first round, right? Yep. Um, and these super long wingspans and that sort of stuff. Not necessarily because I don't think he's good enough. It's just that's it's a beauty contest at some level. Um, Osai, Joe Osai has, has a real chance. We all know that. Uh, it'll depend how he plays this season. Um, uh, because I, I, I just see him, if he can show that he's a true pass rusher, you're, you you could be talking about top five, right? If he has a medium campaign, then I think you're still looking at top, first round, maybe second, that sort of thing for him. That he really is a low a low floor, or excuse me, a high floor player in that regard, because he's already got all of those attributes that we're talking about with the size, athleticism, that sort of thing. The, the real issue with him is can he can he on an at total year basis create a level of production that we all think he can, you know what I mean? If yep. he can turn that switch and make that happen and be consistent, then all of a sudden you're looking at a, at a, a really elite NFL prospect. Um, beyond that, I mean, I, I think that Ellinger obviously is, he's going to be a guy, uh, Ellinger. Uh, then uh, you also talk about somebody like Derek Kerstetter, who I think is, is uh, I know he's only going to be a, I think he's a red shirt, right? Uh, redshirt junior um but uh he eventually i think has has got a chance uh in the nfl i don't 
think it'll be a high pick. But beyond that, guys like Jalen Green uh, is a possibility. Caden Stearns is a possibility. Other defensive linemen like Tavondre Sweat, I think, is going to be in that category uh, in another year or two. Um, so you, you look across it that way, and there are some guys coming uh, that are legit NFL uh, pedigree type prospects, comparatively, uh, many more so than what we've seen in the last half half decade for sure. And Kerstetter will be a senior. Um, he is this season because he yeah. he got thrown in um, as a freshman. Uh, but you know, when I look at Sam Ellinger, you know, uh, Yursich wanting to you know, try to do for Sam Ellinger what Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow. I mean, if you, you go back and look at Joe Burrow in 2018, this guy, you know, he was a 58% passer, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions, and then he just explodes. I mean, 76.3% passer, 5,000 yards pass, 60-6-0 touchdown passes, and six um, interceptions. I mean, it was unbelievable. And people are like, oh, there's no way. There's no way Sam Ellinger could ever have a season like that. Now, I'm not saying he could have a season like that, but if Mike Yursich has anything to say about it, he thinks, you know, he can help put Sam Ellinger in a position. Uh, and Ellinger is a career 64%, 65% passer. What kind of elevation, when you look at the receivers, you got to replace two starters on the offensive line, what kind of growth could we see from Sam Ellinger? Obviously, the pandemic has cut into off-season work and, and all that, and just the building of the relationship with Yersich. Um, so, I like Joe Burrow a lot. So, I'm just going to put that out there. I think that he's a fantastic player. Um, and whatnot. It's also important to realize that he had probably two first round draft picks at wide receiver. He had multiple draft picks along the offensive line. He had a first round draft pick at running back. Um, That offense was not just Joe Burrow. They were talented across the board, more talented, more talented than this Texas team is, Um, particularly at receiver. Texas is going to be young next year at receiver, in my opinion. Um, and so, how good uh, is Brennan Eagles, Bobby? I, I don't know. You don't know. We yeah. nobody does. I mean, he's done it some. He's also short on short arms the balls. He's ran the wrong route a couple times. We've seen that, but at the same time, he's taking it you know seventy, sixty yards to the house against LSU, um, among others. So th- there's that level of you know show me with Brennan Eagles. We can talk about it all, all we want, but until he shows that he's, he can make a tough catch on third down on a consistent basis, like a Dev Duvernay or Colin Johnson, we don't know what he is. He may have all of the tools in the world, but until he shows it, we're, we're kind of lost without it. Jake Smith is a different guy. Now I, I have a strong feeling that that, that he is going to be a big part of the offense um, and should be because I, I just feel like as a route runner and as a ball catcher, he is as good as it, it's going to get at Texas for a while. Um, and I know he's not a big kid and all this other stuff, but he's a tremendous talent, um, in my opinion. So we'll, we'll see. I just don't think Texas has those types of receivers, that type of offensive line. Certainly they don't have that at this point, um, although they do have pieces. And so adding all that up, means that Ellinger is going to have to do more on his own, right? And, or create more. And I don't know that, that Sam is bad at that. I don't think Sam is, is necessarily going to be great at that. And uh, jump, do you think Keontae Ingram makes what, what did you like about Roshan Johnson and what can be John Robinson add? Look, I think, First of all, I think Keontae Ingram's dramatically undervalued by Texas fans. Dramatically. Um, I think that a lot of fans see him get nicked up and they think that's how he runs all the time. That's not. 
I mean, he is an athletic dude, hard-nosed East Texas kid that gives a you-know-what about football. And I think that if he has a fully healthy season, um, he is a tremendous player. I don't think he's ever a first-round draft pick. By that, I don't know that he does anything that excellently. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but I do think he's an NFL prospect. Johnson is a little bit different in that he's he doesn't. You know, I think he probably runs a four seven, four six five. He's not super fast, but he's extraordinarily physical. And he's just learning the position. We'll see how that goes. Uh, with Robinson, you know, he's a freshman, so we won't see him much until we they're sure that he can pass protect because they're not going to put. Sam Ellinger's senior year on the line with a running back that can't pass protect. Right. Um, you know, cause that's all Texas needs is to play a season without Sam Ellinger based on, you know, a, a missed block by a, by a freshman running back. So I, I think that those guys are talented and I think Ingram is more talented and better than, than a, a lot of Texas fans recognize or realize uh, because when he's healthy, I think he is a terrific, a terrific running back and a future pro. But he's got to be healthy, uh, all that said. Yeah, and he catches the football. Oh, amazing. Terrific yeah. catcher. He and Roshan Johnson are both really, really talented out of the backfield. Like, they, they don't have uh, – you know, I know everybody remembers the LSU misreception by Keontae, but I don't think he missed anything else the rest of the year or the previous year. I mean, he's, he catches the football. So. I don't know. I don't know how LSU spread the ball around the way they did last year. Their lowest touchdown receptions by a receiver was 13 by Terrace Marshall. That's the school record at Texas by Jordan Shipley. <laughs> and then you had then you had Justin Jefferson with 18 and Jamar Chase with 20. Yeah, and I think he's the best one. And and he'll be back. He'll yeah, be back. he's he's tremendous. Um, I, I you know they put five out in the route, chip. Uh, and Hilaire caught fifty five passes. Bingo. Out of the That's back. what I'm saying. They they put they put five out in the route on just about everything, and relied strictly on Burrow to figure it out. Yeah. Right. And he did. Uh, the you know, the majority of the time. Um, I don't know. I just don't know that Sam, I don't know that Sam's that guy. Um, I don't know if his processor works as quick as Burroughs did. I mean, Burrow last year saw it and reacted as quick as, as you remember Colt McCoy. Yeah. And came out his junior year and just saw everything like against OU just saw it before it even happened. No doubt. Um, that's what I thought Burrow was doing. On a on an even bigger level because he was making more throws downfield than Colt did, you know. Yep. And so, if you you Colt, you can say what you want about Vince Young or Sam or any really good Texas quarterbacks of the years. Nobody had nobody processed quicker than Colt McCoy his junior and senior year, right? Um, at the same time, I don't think Sam's at that level, and I, I think that Burrow and, and Colt were very similar in that way. You know, they 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 read it reacted and went with it now where their athleticism and ability led them may be different in, in how they figured it out but i'm telling you that that's a different level that i saw from burrow so even if yersich wants to do that with somebody you gotta you know sam is gonna have to pick it up to do that bobby great stuff any other uh any other thoughts as we wave goodbye to this nfl draft no i mean i you know, I, I will say this, um, and it it got me thinking. You know, you saw all those Utah DBs get drafted, and some other Utah players get drafted, and just Texas beat them. And the year before, Texas beat um, Georgia. Georgia, and they had so many. Men. They Texas took LSU to the to the wire, and they had all these draft picks. Texas is not that far off if they can be consistent and and find ways to score on a consistent basis. They're, they're starting to have the kids. Um, I thought that uh, Utah, from a perspective of coming to play, that's, that's what Texas has to do against the TCUs of the world and, and the Baylors, where 
they just look almost lost on offense in both of those games. You can't do that. You got to find some, got to find some, some peace of mind and then get after it on defense. And the other thing I want to say about Utah that I, I noticed is you don't get drafted in the NFL unless you have speed on defense uh, at, at, at DB. They just don't, they're not going to draft you. Um, and so as Texas is looking for defensive backs, they better find the guys that run four or five or better um, if they want to keep inching up the draft boards. Let me ask you this, because we got a lot of Cowboys fans on our on our board at Horns 24-7. Of course, everyone needs to be uh, an annual member so they get all the benefits of all the team sites on the 24-7 sports network. The, the uh, Cowboys take CeeDee Lamb and Neville Gallimore from OU. Your thoughts on those two players? Uh, I think I think that Lamb is a tremendous contested ball catcher um, and can create separation. He's not as precise a route runner as I think some people think he is. Um, and part of that is the the offense at OU. Um, right. Lincoln gets him in it, space. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, but that doesn't mean that CD Lamb can't do it. I mean, <laughs> let's put, there's a difference, right? I mean, um, as far as Gallimore is concerned, I like what he can do upfield if and only if he uh, he really commits himself. I mean, he's he's a guy that has more talent than what he's played to, in yep. my opinion. Um, and so, uh, for in my opinion, those guys don't always fare very well in the league. You want guys that that in the NFL that actually outperform their talent or at least up to it. And in my opinion, I expected, I think Gallimore had more in the tank in college than what he let on um, and, and didn't get it out of himself for whatever reason. Still a good player, obviously very talented, and that's why they took him where they did. But uh, that's, that's my take on that. He's a little more Puna Ford in him. Yeah. What about, <laughs> what? Any, a lot of people do. <laughs> what about Ross Blacklock? Because he goes to the Texans. The Texans desperately needed to replace DJ Reader on their defensive line. Ross Blacklock um, goes he's to the a, Texans. So he's a little bit different. He's not so much of an upfield guy as, as Gallimore is going to be asked to be. He's more of a in, you know, anchor, move the pile type guy. Um, with Ross, him being injured, as his, uh, I guess it would have been in his junior year, and then returning this year, um, I, like, I like that pick. Uh, simply because I think you know what you're getting with him. Again, it's kind of like Deb Duvernay to me is that um, you're getting, you know what you're getting when you make that pick. And because of that, if you need that type of player, then he's going to fit. That, that's, that's how I feel about it. Oh, there he is. The Godfather uh, publisher of Horns 24 seven, the one and only Bobby Burton, Bobby, great conversation as always. Let's do it again soon. All right, Chip, you take care, man. All right, the flagship podcast rolls on. Great stuff, as always, with Bobby Burton and Chip Brown. I love hearing two of the people who have covered the University of Texas the longest uh, really go in-depth on their viewpoint of the program, of the players that come out of it. So good stuff there. And, Chip, before we wrap this all up, we got to touch on the success that Texas women's basketball coach Vic Schaefer has picked up over the last week with the Longhorns adding the commitments of two top 20 prospects in the 2021 uh, class in Rory Harmon, a point guard, and then forward Aaliyah Moore. What can you tell us about Vic Schaefer's recruiting success that you've seen, that we've all seen now so soon? Yeah, I mean, I just love this guy's intensity and energy. Um, I think we're going to be talking to him here on the flagship podcast very soon. And in just my conversations with him, Taylor, this guy knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly what he's recruiting. Um, he, he wants athletic, um, full court offense and defense, people who can get up and down the floor and just wear people out defensively and, that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to have super athletic, um, talented prospects to bring into that system. And and Rory Harmon 
defines it. As a point guard, she is up and down the floor. She can get her own shot. She's a one-woman fast break. She uh, will pick you up half court defensively. And, you know, she's a scoring point guard. So that's – you just love that. I mean, she she knows how to facilitate, but she can go get her own shot. And she's going to be, you know, pushing the tempo. And that's what you got to have in your point guard. And then you look at Aaliyah Moore, and she's from Moore, Oklahoma. I mean, she was seen as a must-get for Sherry Cole and the Oklahoma Sooners – who have had their own struggles in recruiting here over the last few years, and the program has has not been able to, you know, keep its own inside the borders. And 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 Kim Mulkey is just, um, you know, run away with the conference. Well, Aaliyah Moore was not really interested in Mississippi State. I mean, Vic Schaefer was always interested in Aaliyah Moore, but she was not crazy about going to Starkville. Now, Karen Aston did have Aaliyah Moore's attention and had brought, you know, she'd come in for some unofficial visits to Austin. She loved Austin, but she wasn't sure about where the program was headed. So she was leaning more towards South Carolina, Florida State. And then all of a sudden, Vic Schaefer gets the Texas job and he makes a beeline for Aaliyah Moore, who's the number seven prospect in the 2021 class, she's 6'2". Again, athletic, can get up and down the floor. We're not talking about someone who's a half-court player. This is someone who can run, can bring the point, You know, can play point forward, uh, is not afraid to bring the ball up the floor, can handle the ball. And these two prospects, to get their commitments in back-to-back days, less than a month on the job, insane it's awesome i mean this is what this is what texas fans have been waiting for since 2003 the last time jody took the took the team to the final four and these are the kind of players who are going to take you there i mean these are the kind of players that kim mulkey has been getting in recruiting year in and year out uh, that enabled her to win three national championships so Good on Vic Schaefer. I mean, this guy, and he's got his whole staff with him, um, Johnny Harris and the whole staff from Mississippi State. They're doing a great job. I knew they were really good recruiters, but this is this is something. I mean, to, to come in less than a month and secure those commitments, uh, it's really exciting. I, I, I hate to say it, Taylor. I'm not trying to be a jerk to Shaka. Mm-hmm. And the men's team, but this women's team is going to be really fun to watch because they're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to pressure people. They're going to be super well coached. They're super. They're going to be super tough, and and that's that's what you want. That's what you. I mean, every time that Vic Shaver says, "I have no interest in being good," that's a miserable existence. You know, we want to win championships. Mm-hmm. That's that's like. Great coach speak, first right. of all. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I wish Shaka would say stuff like that. But then to back it up and go get two five-star recruits uh, is just fantastic. And, you know, he's the he's the son of a, a colonel in the Army. You feel his intensity at every turn, and I just think it's going to be – And he's, but he's got a good sense of humor. I mean, he – I think this guy – this was such a home run hire – uh, I can't wait to watch this team play. Yeah. So you definitely you think they're going to be the team that you're going to prefer to watch over the men's team next season? I mean, yes, because they're going to be coached and they're going to take good shots. They're going to be disciplined. They're going to pressure people with, I hate to say it, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Shaka learned some things at the end of this past season when he, when he got on the six-game winning streak to – basically bring his team back from the dead and get into NCAA tournament contention when he was doing it with sort of a blue collar work ethic with guys like Royce Ham and, and Brock Cunningham and, and Kai Jones. So that's the kind of intensity that Vic Schaefer's teams play with all the time, but they don't take, they don't, they don't take, 
they don't settle for threes at the end of the shot clock like Shaka's teams do. It's so frustrating to watch and has been for going on six years. I mean, if you watch Vic Schaefer's teams when they went to the national championship game back-to-back years in 17 and 18, my gosh. And they beat UConn, ended their 111-game winning streak. They're fearless. I mean, they they just... They just take you down. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm on the record. I'm probably going to enjoy watching Vic Schaefer's teams play more than I've enjoyed watching Shaka's teams play. No more banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Vic Schaefer's the real deal. I, I'm, I looked at him and I thought, wow, they're not going to go spend the money on mm. Vic Schaefer. You know, I mean, he was set to make one point. Six five million at Mississippi State next season, but I think he's a you know he's a Texas guy. I mean, he went to A and M, but he's he's born in Austin. He grew up in Houston. He's a Texas guy, and I and I think the fact that he couldn't attract someone like Aaliyah Moore to Mississippi State, even though he's had All Americans at Mississippi State, and then he goes to Texas, and boom, Aaliyah Moore is like, "Yep, I'm in." Right. That's you know, there's something about being able to recruit to Texas. No question. Everybody wants the job at Texas in whatever sport because it's the best city in the country to recruit to. It's the best college town in the country. So, yeah, no banana in the tailpipe with Vic Shape. There's a lot to recruit to Texas. You know, it's it's not, not a knock on Starkville, Mississippi. But, you know, I mean, the, go to the – go downtown. It'll, you'll learn for yourself, you know. And, but – at the same time, that also puts so much more pressure on the coaches that do come here. So it's, you know, you kind of see the ones that are cut out for it and the ones who aren't. So it'll be interesting definitely to see. But I think Vic Schaefer definitely would be cut out for it. Yeah, it, I he knows who he is. And I've always said, if you're going to be a coach at Texas, I don't care if it's women's golf or football. you got to know exactly who you are. you got to know exactly how you're going to conduct your you know, yourself as a coach, how you're going to burn your culture in. And you can't be guessing. You can't be on the job trying to figure it out, which I feel like Shaka has, has had to do. Now, I don't, I don't blame him. I mean, Steve Patterson offered him the job, gave him a ton of money and made it hard for Shaka to say no. So Shaka came, but Shaka himself, when I asked him the other day, about Greg Brown. I said, this is your fourth potential one and done. Your three previous one and dones, you didn't have team success. In fact, with Jared Allen, you had the worst record, one of the worst records in Texas basketball history, 11 and 22, in part because they recruited Tevin Mack, who they never should have recruited. They should have recruited, I mean, I can list three other players from you know, Carson Edwards to, um, oh God, the kid out of San Antonio who went to Minnesota. I mean, th- there were kids from the state of Texas they should have taken ahead of Tevin Mack, who was a nightmare, got kicked off the team, all that. So I said, what, what have you learned that maybe you can now translate having a one and done and have it result in good team success? And he said, yeah, you're right. I've ne- I never had experience with one-and-dones before I got to Texas. I mean, he's had to, to sort of learn on the fly and figure things out. And that's just not – you can't do that at Texas. This place will eat you alive. It's like being an ant under a magnifying glass in the middle of the day. Right. It just – everybody's going to second-guess everything you do unless – you know, you know exactly what you're doing and you have the plan and you are getting the results. It's mm-hmm. that simple. I will say one thing with Shaka Smart, while, you know, he may not have been cut out for the job at Texas, he, he couldn't turn that down from VCU oh. to nope. going to Texas. I mean, you'd be any coach, especially at the level of a school like VCU, to get the opportunity to be the coach at Texas, even if it's not the football coach, if it's the, you know, the second sport in line, you have to take that. Yep. So he made the right move for himself, just maybe not for Texas fans. And he's got a great agent. He's got Jimmy Sexton as his agent. Oh, that guy's a beast. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, he has one 
20 win 20. He won 20 games, not 30, not 27, not 25. He won 20 games. He went 20 and 13 in year one. And then Jimmy Sexton called Mike Perrin and said, hey, the Rockets are calling Shaka. And Shaka got a, a two-year extension. Yeah. That's why we, you know, that's why he has an eight-year deal now instead of a six-year deal. And and here we are. But, yeah. hey, Greg Brown, veteran guards, maybe this is the year that, uh, that Shaka figures it out. Right. Taylor, I... Uh, Kudos to you for love it or leave it. I think I think we gotta I think we gotta keep that. I think we gotta love it. Yeah, we may need to expand it too for you and Bobby. I'd love to get y'all's take on that too. I like that. I like that. Yeah, and folks, be listening. I think we're close to having a uh, a Vic Schaefer flagship podcast. So we will definitely um, keep you posted on that. Make sure you're following. The flagship pod on Twitter, as well as Taylor Estes. Taylor, what's your what's your Twitter handle? Taylor Estes two four seven. So basically, just like yours, Chip nice. Brown two four seven. I think all of us have that. <laughs> Horns twenty four seven. We basically all have the same. Yeah. So just be following us because we will we'll keep you posted. We we've, we've had all kinds of requests from from you, the members at Horns twenty four seven, to get. Vic Schaefer on, so we are working on it. Uh, especially now he's got two uh, commitments from five-star talents in the 2021 class. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, pump his chest a little bit here. <laughs> right. Hey, everybody wants to talk to you when you're on the upswing, baby. Exactly. But, Live it uh, up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And thanks to Bobby Burton. Thanks to Bobby the Godfather uh, for jumping on with us, talking some NFL draft. Taylor, um, you're the best. You're the engine that makes the flagship pod go. Uh, thanks for keeping us on the rails. And thanks to everyone for listening. Keep it right here on the flagship podcast. And uh, keep it right here at Horns 24-7. We'll talk to you next week.